Uh, Easter, by far, is one of my favorite seasons. Um, I love Easter because it always reflects a new beginning. You know, it's in the spring season and getting ready for summer and vacation and all of those good things that we uh, anticipate. But then you go back beyond that and then you start looking at saying, okay, what does this really mean? What does this season represent? And it is. It is a season that is born out of brokenness. It is a season that is born out of, of unrealized and unmet expectations. And Jesus shows up in those places and changed the trajectory of all of history. I think the question that I want to wrestle with is, when we step into these new seasons, how do we do that? How do we do it that actually makes a difference in the world? Uh, the topic I want to talk about today is how do we build our legacy? I think so often when we talk about legacy, we don't really think about it often until it's way too late, and we end up looking back at our life. A lot of changes are taking place in Lisa and I's life, and, and so this has kind of gotten me personally thinking through, okay, how, how am I living my life? I think as a church, that you're walking through a season of newness as well. God's doing some new things in you as a body, and I believe in this season, God is doing new things in all of us. How do we live? The idea of legacy, when I think about it, it really means this. It means that we show up and we make a difference in every circumstance that comes to us, and we do it consistently. I think the best way for me to be able to understand this comes to sports. You know, you have a lot of athletes that have been great over a long period of time. But what makes the difference between those who are good and great and the legends of the game? The legends of the game are those that when it is down and it looks like everything is against them, they rise to the occasion and they make the most of the opportunity that's put in front of them. Uh, over and over and over and over again. I can't help but see Tim sitting right in the front row and unfortunately, I've got to throw a New England Patriots, right? You're thinking Tom Brady right away out of the chute um, of looking, not another one, that, that's there. But we all have our legends. We all have the people in sports that we look to and say if the game's on the line, that's the person that I want to be able to be in the driver's seat. I think Paul gives us a little bit of what that looks like in Ephesians chapter 5. He tells this, he says this, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like, those, uh, but like those who are wise. And then he says this, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants us to do. That's clutch. That's in those situations when the game is on the line, Paul is saying, make the most of every opportunity. Today I want to look at the book of Esther, because I think Esther gives us a great foundation of saying, how do we live our life and make this difference? How do we live a clutch life? How do we live a life that builds and creates a legacy for the kingdom? Why I like the book of Esther is do you realize that in the entire book, God is not mentioned one time, but yet... As the story unfolds, and there's so many plot twists and turns, and all of uh, a very complex plot, and, and as the story moves along, you can't help but look back and say, wow, God was in this, and God was in this, and God was in this. You see his fingerprint all throughout the story. 
often times, is that like our lives? Where we get so busy and we get so wrapped up in living our life that we don't take time and pause and be able to look and say, I see God's fingerprint there, and I see it there, and I see it there. So how did Esther rise to this, this level of being a legend in our faith? The story starts off with King Xerxes. King Xerxes is the king of, of Prussia. At this point in time, Prussia, uh, Persia is the uh, largest empire in all uh, throughout uh, the land. And Xerxes wants to create this celebration, and so he starts this festival. This festival is supposed to last several weeks and several months, and the further you get into that, um, I love the way the passage says it here. It says that, that, that there were great feasts, great food, but it also goes on and says the, world, the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. Basically, all of Persia was getting sloshed drunk during this festival, including the king. And as the festival goes on, the king comes up with this plan and says, I want to show all my friends how beautiful my wife is and parade her in front of all of us. And so he sends word to his queen and says, I'd like for you to come and I'd like for you to, prov- um, uh, to show your beauty to all of my friends. It's actually interesting. Some commentators say that he invited her to come wearing her royal crown. And most commentators say, wear your royal crown and nothing else. That was the type of culture and environment that the king was setting up. The queen, very wisely, has her own party going on and refuses the king. She does not come. This embarrasses the king. He's irate. He doesn't know what to do. He calls his friends, his buddies in, and they say, dude, you better not embarrass us by, by your wife not showing up. And so he creates this, this edict in the land that says it's illegal for any woman to disobey and to uh, forget and not, uh, and not obey or listen uh, to her husband. I'm sure that did not go over well in the land. And um, also he called her in and she refused and so he divorced her right there. When the king sobered up, he realized that he made a pretty big mistake. Here is the king and he has no queen. And so he calls his buddies together and they come up with this other plan, how to be able to replace the queen. And so they sent word out to the land, and they get all of his minions, and they go through all of the land of Persia, and they find the most beautiful virgins, and they bring them in, and they say, we want you to compete for a year. We're going to give you all of the uh, beauty tips, all of the um, 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 uh, beautification stuff, the uh, great food, and and at the end of the year, we're going to choose the most beautiful woman to be the queen. Here's where we get the story of Esther. Esther comes in. Now understand, Esther is not Persian. She is a Jew. And the Jews in that time are living in exile. They're not in their homeland. They do not have uh, any of the blessings or the trappings of what it means to be Jewish. They're living in exile. They're immigrants in a land. And there's much prejudice and racism against the Jewish people. So, so Esther is growing up not in a place of, 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 of comfort, but in a place of being an outcast of society. What's the challenge with Esther is not only is she a Jew, but she's an orphan. Her parents died at a very early age. And so now this whole issue of belonging is something that Esther is wrestling with. God shows up in her life and provides her cousin Mordecai. 
Mordecai is the one that has taken her in, has kind of given her uh, a sense of home, a sense of identity, a sense of roots in who she was. She was one that was chosen to be a part of this elaborate scheme that the king came up with of who is going to replace his his queen. Uh, And Esther goes through this process. She's taken from her home, and she goes through this process. She wins. She wins. Of all of the ladies in the land, she was the one that was the most beautiful. And the king turns around and brings and invites her in to be his wife and to be queen of the land. Mordecai, recognizing what God was doing, encourages her and says, don't tell anyone about your heritage. Don't tell anyone about who you are and your background. Keep that between you and your God. Um, At the same time, the evil villain comes up in the story. His name is Haman. Haman hates the Jews to start with. And as he is uh, uh, going about his business, he runs into Mordecai, and Mordecai, um, Haman's, um, the the way that he was, he was prime minister, and he would step into a place, and everyone in the land would have to bow down and represent the authority that Haman had. Everyone did that except one person, Mordecai. He knew Mordecai was a Jew, and he was frustrated and angry at Mordecai because of what he did. And so the anger of Haman came up and boiled up to the top of the surface of his life. Haman comes up with this plan to be able to execute Mordecai, but not just Mordecai, to create genocide and wipe out all of the Jewish people. At the same time that that was going on, Mordecai hears some people talking at the front of the gate of the the palace, and a plan was being hatched to be able to assassinate the king. So uh, Mordecai sends word to Esther, and Esther warns um, uh, the king that there's a plot against it. They investigate it, and now uh, it it is put, put aside, and Haman is even more frustrated at Mordecai. This plan to annihilate the Jews starts to take on root. Mordecai hears about this. Mordecai hears about this plan, and he sends word to Esther. And he says, Esther, you have to do something about this. Do you realize that if you don't do something, that all of our people are going to be killed? Esther sends word back to Mordecai and says, you have to understand I can't just go up to the king. I can't enter into his presence without being invited. If I, don't do, if I do that and he doesn't want to hear what I have to say, I could be banished, I could be executed, I could be divorced, and I, all that has happened could be for naught. And then, which I think is the most um, turning point in the book of Esther, and probably the most um, powerful Um, and well-known passage in Esther chapter 4, when Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai of this frustration and the concern of what to do, this is the word that he sent back to him. Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all of the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. 
but you and your father's family will surely perish. And then here's the line. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai puts the word to Esther. He says, do you realize that God has been working in your life from the beginning all the way up to this point? That relief and deliverance, God will be God, and he's going to do what he does. But you've come to this royal position because God's fingerprint has been on you for such a time as this. Esther wrestles with it. But then she steps into her mission. And she sends word to the king. And the king uh, asks if, 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 if Esther asks, can I have an audience with him? And we see God's favor on Esther. What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. And then Esther replied, and she says, if it pleases the king, tell the king, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet that I've prepared for him. And so Esther creates this banquet. And the king is there, and Haman is there, and they enjoy this great feast. And as the evening comes, Esther gets this idea and says, okay, how about we continue this party the next night? And King and Haman agree. But during this time, Haman's anger for Mordecai just keeps starting to build, and it's becoming so intense. And so Haman comes up with his plan to execute Mordecai the next day. Mordecai sends, or Haman sends out his men, and he says, in the courtyard of the palace, I want you to create this gallows this execution machine that tomorrow morning we will finally be able to execute Mordecai. The king goes home that night. Haman goes home. His, his, his lynchmen are out building this thing. And in the morning, Haman, uh, or later that night, and this is where you just look and you see how God has a, has a sense of humor and a flair. The king is trying to sleep and can't sleep. And so he calls his people in and he says, will you come and read to me the history of the great Persian Empire? Guess what they turn to? They turn to the story where Mordecai warned the king that his life was in danger of an assassination plot and, 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 and that um, because of Mordecai's words, the king and his empire was saved. That's the passage he read. And then he goes on to read and says, have we ever done anything to be able to thank Mordecai for the work that he did? And the king's men looked through and they read and they said, we have done nothing. No public announcement, no virtue, no, no, um, uh, no statement of thanks for what Mordecai did. And the king says, we have to fix that. So the next morning, uh, the king calls Haman in and asks Haman and says, Haman, let me ask you a question. If we had someone in our kingdom 
who worked really hard and did some good things, but is always overlooked, and we never did anything uh, to publicly recognize all of the good work uh, that this person did. What should we do? Now, Haman, in his mind, thinks that the king is finally recognizing all of the work that Haman did, and so, so uh, Haman is kind of getting puffed up and says, here's what, king, you should do, is go get the white horse, your horse, put this guy on and parade him through the town and declaring how good and great this man is. The king looked at Haman and says, that's a great idea. You know what we forgot to do? We never thanked Mordecai for the work that he did in spoiling this plot. And so why don't you go down, get the state, my horse out of my stable, and then put Mordecai on it, and I want you to parade him around town saying how great Mordecai is. Haman, I would have loved to have been there to be able to see his, his, his whole continence change. Like, he, oh, the whole day. Now, keep in mind, Mordecai, or Haman's plan, was to execute Mordecai that morning. So here is Haman walking all around town, praising Mordecai for what he did. Do you see God's flair there? They come that evening. Now, here's the banquet. And now Esther clutch steps into this mission she steps into it and she very boldly proclaims and says here king here is what has been taken place that the king that that haman has 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 tricked you and issued this verdict this edict that all of the jewish people will be executed king i have to tell you something i am jewish and these are my people and this is the evil that Haman has done towards me and to my people. The king was furious. He calls Haman and asks if, he's tr- if this is true. I'm sure Haman goes, and comes up with these excuses. And he says, none of that. Haman, today you will be executed. And he looks out into the courtyard and says, how convenient. There's a gallows that someone built here overnight. How about we execute Haman on this gallows? And it's the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. And after he was executed, the king turns to Esther, issues an, an, a, a, another um, edict that says the Jewish people will be able to protect themselves from any harm that anyone does towards them. And he turns to Mordecai and he promotes Mordecai to be prime minister of the land. You see what Esther did there? And Mordecai? It was that moment of clutch where they stepped into this mission. They made the most of the opportunity that was given to them. And so what can we learn? What can we learn from the story of Esther that can be able to apply? The first one, is that we have to be able to pursue God's presence in our lives. That building legacy requires that we connect our current situation, what is happening there with God's presence. You see, I think here's what happens way too often. We get so busy and so wrapped up in our lives that we fail to pause and reflect to be able to look back in our lives and we miss God's presence throughout our lives. You see, God is always present. Whether we see it, whether we recognize it, whether we lean into it or we don't, he's always there. Look at Esther's life. When God 
was present in those dark times, in those dark times where she was an orphan, where she was living in exile, where she was trying to figure out her faith and, and, and feeling the rejection and the outcast, the loneliness. In those moments, God was there. He provided Mordecai. In the confusing times, he was faithful to her in giving Mordecai and figuring out how to be able to live as a Jewish woman in the Persian Empire. In the good times, when she actually won and she felt the, the, the favor of God and she was promoted to the queen of the land. In those moments, God was there. In the challenging times, when she knew that God was asking her to step into a place where we know how the story ends, but Esther had no idea how that story was going to end. It was in those moments that God was there. You see, way too often, we don't see God's fingerprints in our lives because we don't pause and reflect and to be able to look back. You see, it's in our times of pain and loss and disappointment, in those failures in time, that God often is the most present in our life, and we missed it. I want to encourage us, when we look back at our lives and we look at those times, ask Jesus to show us, where were you during those times? Those darkest hours? Those times of the greatest celebration? My guess is that as you ask God to show where you were, you'll start to recognize and see his fingerprints all over your lives. You see, legacy living means that our past hurts, our mistakes, our missed opportunities, they don't define us, nor do they dictate what our future is. You see, when we see God's activity in our past, that's what brings healing. That's what brings forgiveness and redemption. It makes those broken parts of our lives whole again. You see, reflection on the past, not only does it help see where God was, but it gives us confidence and courage to be able to know that God is just as present in the now and that he's going to be with us in the future. Recognizing his presence in our lives means that we pause and ask, God, where are you? What are you working over Easter, last weekend, we had a whole household of people, and we had one of our neighbors uh, come, and she uh, is not a believer, uh, although God is doing an incredible thing in her life. And we started asking, and she's, she's gone through a messy divorce and, and, and sickness and job falling through, and, and, and where you look and say, man, everything seems to be falling apart in her life. And then she made this comment. She goes but I see something is happening in my life. That if God is real, he's showing up here and providing rent money. He's showing up here and he's helping me with my son. He's showing up here and giving me hope. He's showing up here and giving it. And here's someone that does not believe in God starting to recognize God's fingerprints in her life even before she has faith. See, that's recognizing the presence of God in our lives. You see, I think often we miss that and we need Mordecai's in our lives. 
You see, Mordecai was the one that Esther, going through all of this, didn't recognize God's activity, his presence. Mordecai was the one that kept going and saying, do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's happening here? Do you see that you're in this position for such a time as this? Who are the Mordecais in your life that when you can't recognize God's activity, is there with you and saying, do you see God here? Do you see God here? Do you see God here? We need Mordecais. But we also need to be Mordecais in other people's lives who are coming back and saying, do you see here? Do you see God working here and pointing and connecting these dots in your lives? If we're going to live a life of legacy, we have to do it in the presence of God. We carry his presence with us. And that leads to the second part here is legacy means that we step into God's mission. You see, Esther came to royal position for such a time as this. You see, if we're going to step into God's mission, it requires that we understand the situation that we're in and we recognize God's work in that situation. It would have been very easy for Esther to come to that royal position and say, I arrived. I don't need to be bothered. Do you see the kingdom that I'm a part of? The royal uh, treatment? Why do I risk losing all of that? But she recognized what God was doing in her life. And then she stepped into the moment that she came to the royal position for such a time as this. You see, when we step into those God moments in our lives, it always requires us leaving the comfort of what we know and what we have into the discomfort and the awkwardness of what we don't know. Stepping into his mission always requires leaving something that is familiar and comfortable. I love the story of Esther, but I would have loved to have been in there with her wrestling because she had no idea what God was going to do in her if he was going to if he was going to show up in her life at all, but she took that step of faith. I gotta be honest, there are times when I look and I say, if I would have been there, would I have done what Esther did? It was so big. I don't know if I could have stepped into that. Here's the goodness of God, is that if you look back at Esther's life, she was faithful in so many small things. By the time it came to this, it was obvious I said, yes, I can step into it. See, when we say yes and we live in legacy, living for the kingdom, it means that we start saying yes to the small things in life. Not the big one, but the small things. And here's the goodness of God, is that even if we let those things pass, those small opportunities every day, that they'll keep coming, and they'll keep coming, and they'll keep coming. And as we step in and are faithful with the small things, God is gonna prepare us for the big things in our life. Faithfulness in the small moments prepares us for those kingdom moments in our lives. You see, when we engage in God's mission, it means that you leverage your position, your gifts, your talents, your circumstances, your passions, the things that God has given you in this world, and you leverage them with God's presence and his power and his promises, that's when we start seeing things change around us. It's that idea 
of leveraging. Leveraging your position with God's presence. That's when kingdom breakthrough takes place. A couple years ago, actually many years ago, uh, I, we were on vacation up to, uh, up to Cape Cod. And uh, uh, it was in the season where I was actually a lot more fit. We went out, and I went out on an early morning jog. I uh, went out. I love jogging on Cape Cod because it's flat. There's no hills. And so we, I went out there, and I came back, and it was before breakfast, and I'm all sweaty, and I come, and I notice my car has a flat tire. Flat tires stink all the time. There's never a good time where you like a flat, but especially on vacation. And so I'm already hot and sweaty, so I, so I get, and I swap, uh, pull the spare out, and I swap the tire, and I come in, and that, at that time, my kids were, were, were pretty small, and I came in, and I announced my accomplishment, and I, want, and I said, I want you to know that your dad is amazing. And right away, you know, I roll, all of that kind of stuff, discounting us, and then I said, I changed the tire on our car. I lifted up the car with my bare hands, took the tire off, put the new tire on, and now we have a good tire, we're good to go. And again, it was like, all right, Dad, whatever, and then went back to uh, eating their breakfast. And I was a little disappointed. Like, I did. I changed the tire all by myself with my bare hands. I lifted up the car, took the tire off, and put a new one on. Now, I did it with the help of a jack. That's key. I left that piece out. But you think about it. What does the jack do? It provides leverage. It takes me, an ordinary man, being able to go like this and to see a ton of a car lift up so I could take a tire off. That's what happens when God leverages your position with his presence. We see the kingdom of God break through. That's what happened there in the book of Esther. But here's what we have to understand, that God's kingdom will advance, with us or without us. As for Mordecai said this, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will, uh, for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that God's going to do what God does, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to miss out on the blessing. You're going to miss out. Because God will do what he does and his kingdom will advance, but you're going to miss out on the blessing of seeing what God can do in you and through you to see his kingdom come. Lisa and I and our family, we have, have a saying, when we see God show up, you look and you say, man, we just... We can't make that up. There's nothing greater. A few years ago, um, we had the opportunity of uh, pastoring a turnaround church that was just devastated. And as God started to rebirth something new, we started seeing God do things that only God can do. Why? Not because we're amazing, not because I can lift a car up with my bare hands, but because God's presence was in us. We carried his presence into a broken place. And God leveraged our, pres our circumstances, our presence with his purpose. And we saw the kingdom of God break through. Week after week, 
Lisa and I made this comment and we said, man, we get a front row seat of seeing what God can only do. Living our lives on legacy means that we pursue his presence and then when those opportunities come, we step into his mission. And the final part here is of legacy meaning, living, is that we do this together as family. God intended his kingdom to come down in the context of community and his family and his people. You see, Esther, Esther couldn't have done it with more, without Mordecai. Esther didn't understand and she didn't have the deep faith that Mordecai had to be able to connect the dots and to be able to say, do you see God here, 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 here? Keep your faith, keep your faith. Don't be discouraged. Don't go back into the lies of, your of, of a false identity. Step into who God has called you to be for such a time as this. Esther couldn't have done it without Mordecai. Mordecai had the deep faith. He understood. He recognized what God was doing, but he didn't have the same access that Esther had. And so it's as they worked together in the context of family that they were able to see the kingdom of God break through. And then in chapter 4, after Esther gives word to Mordecai and says, I'm going to do this, she sends this word out. And then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out Esther's instructions it wasn't just mordecai it wasn't just esther it was the family it was all of the jewish people gathering together praying and fasting that god would do only what god could do and then we see the kingdom of god break through so as we prepare for the lord's supper The question that I want us to wrestle with is this. How will you pursue the presence of God in your life? To be able to take some time to pause and to reflect. To be able to see where he was in the past so that we can have confidence that wherever we go now, that we are recognizing his presence and we're cultivating and carrying that presence into every circumstance of our lives. In those areas, when God starts to tap you on your shoulder, how will you leverage the position that you find yourselves in with his presence in your life to be able to see the kingdom of God break through. And how will you do it together as family? See, I think one of Satan's biggest tactics is to say, you're an individual, you're an individual. I put you here, you do it here, you do it here. When he says, yes, I put you in a royal position for such a time as this, but we get to do it together as family. That is the beauty of our local churches, to be able to step in 
to his mission. This week, as we come out of Easter, and as we start looking towards Pentecost Sunday, as this week, as you're at your jobs, when you're interacting with families, when you're on your neighborhoods and on your street, when you're in school, ask him to show you what are the opportunities that he's asking you to step into and to be clutch in those opportunities. Make the most of every opportunity. Father, I pray that as we take some time now to pause and to reflect, that you will reveal to us your presence in our lives, that you'll take away some of the blinders that we may have on where we have failed to see your work in our lives in the past. And right now where you may seem very distant, I pray that in these next few moments and few days and few weeks that your presence will overwhelm us in every area of our life. That you'll show us those places where you want us to step into your mission. And that you'll give us the confidence even in the small things, to make the most of every opportunity for such a time as this. And that you'll build our friendships, our community, our family here, so that we don't feel like we're doing this alone, that we get to do this together as family. I pray that as we pause now at your table, that you'll come and that you'll speak to us and that you'll reveal your presence to us. And we ask this in the power of Jesus' name.